have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of the Psalms, if you would please. I'm Psalm 40. I'm going to be departing from my regular expositions from James, and I think you probably know why, or at least in some measure, of the trial that has faced you, the trial that faces me. We all have some trials in our lives, and I want to be able today to speak probably more experimentally upon them than I probably ever have before. Uh, but again, all of this, of course, is of the Lord, if it's anything that will do us any good for everlasting value. Can I be heard? Am I, can you hear me in the back? Okay. I would like to read verse 6 of Psalm 40. It's all good. But I would like to read verse 6 down through verse 17. I would like to read all of the Psalms today. Because they do speak in some measure to what we'll be looking at today. And you may ask by the time I'm done or what I'm doing is, why did you choose 40 and you're choosing all the other Psalms to be talking about? You'll see, I hope, in a little bit. No, this is not homiletical expertise here at all. But sometimes you have to put that aside if you're going to communicate to the brethren and preach God's Word at times. Psalm 40, verse 6. I think you know this is a messianic psalm. Jesus, or Paul the Apostle, uses this psalm in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and it is applied to Christ. Psalm 40 and verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have not declared thy faithfulness. Uh, excuse me. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. 
Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. The Christian and the Christian life, as you know, is full of great and wonderful benefits and privileges. We must never forget that. Never. I realize that at times that blessed reality can become cloudy. We may not be able to see it as clearly some days as we do it at others. But that cloudiness that sometimes we face and that we go through, that darkness, does not change the reality of those promises, of those benefits and those privileges of the Christian life and of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. On a clear night, we can go out under the under heaven's canopy, can we not? And, and we can look up and we can see the stars. Something of God's handiwork that He has brought into being by the Word and by the power of His mouth. But if we were to go out on a cloudy night and we were to look up into the same heavenly canopy and we would not see though those stars, would we? They would be hidden. We would not be able to see them. Now, we know they're there. We probably have experienced seeing them in the past, so we know that they're there, especially those of us who live in a place like Kansas where there's not a whole lot of lights uh, blocking the view. Some folks live in large cities and they grow up all their lives never seeing one star. But here in the Midwest, we can say we know they're up there, can't we? And on a cloudy night when we go out, we know they're there. But when it is cloudy and we can't see them, let me ask you again. Can we see them? No. But do we know that they're there? Yes. Yes, we do. The clouds didn't remove them. The clouds didn't tear them out of the sky. The clouds didn't rip them out of the hand of God who put them up there. They just covered them for a period. Well, so it is sometimes with the great privileges and promises and the realities of the gospel. Our eyes of faith at times can become cloudy, but those realities in the gospel are still there. They're still true. They're still real. Many of us here have gone, are going, or will go. Let me get all of the tenses in all this. We'll go under clouds. Sometimes it seems it's utter darkness, doesn't it? Isaiah says that there is a child of light who walks in darkness. Some of us have been there. 
Some of us are there. Some of us will be there. We have trials. We have sadness. We have dangers. We have sins. We have pains. We have diseases. And we have unbelief. And we taste, brethren, in the midst of our trials, something of the bitter fruit of remaining corruptions. And we all pass through these things. Some in more measure than others. Some in more different ways than others. But we all do. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, except for personal transgressions, passed through these dark hours just as we do. Jesus said, and I've quoted this several times this week, not only to my soul and to my God, but to you. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Jesus said that. The Son of glory. The Lord of glory. The one who veiled Himself in flesh. Who came to this earth to redeem His people from their sins. He is the one who said that. Not some sinful man. But Christ. Who knew no sin. Just before the Lord said that, Mark records that he began to be, and the Scripture says, he says here, sore amazed, sore amazed, S-O-R-E. Jesus was sore amazed and to be very heavy. Luke records that in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Paul in Hebrews says of our Lord, who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. Our Lord passed through troublesome times, didn't He? We all do. No, never in the same measure of our Lord Jesus but in some measure of our Lord Jesus. Or He would not be a faithful high priest who could not be touched with our infirmities. Christian, whether we feel it or not, and I'll use that term because that's what the Bible uses. Christians, whether we feel it or not, though, in all of our trials, all of our afflictions and our adversities, And even in our chastisements, Christ is with us. We may think, yeah, well, I know He's with me when I am good and I have afflictions. But what about when I sin? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. When adversity comes, and it will, It will. For the believer, though, he's not alone. Yeah, we feel like it sometimes, don't we? Yeah, we don't see the stars because it's so cloudy. But I assure you, those stars are there. And Christ is more fixed in His position by us than those stars will ever be. And in all of our trials, Christ our Lord is with us. 
In fact, dear Christian, all of our trials and all of our afflictions come to us. And this is, and I didn't, I don't know how else to say it, but as I was studying this and, and, and thinking about my own soul and David's soul and Christ's soul, your souls, probably more mine though than anybody else, I labeled this Christ-centered. All of our trials and all our afflictions come to us Christ-centered. All of our trials, all of our sorrows are Christ-centered. I'll show you what I mean by that in a moment. What I hope to do this morning with God's help is to show from this psalm and a lot of other scriptures the things that may be learned in trials. So if I was going to title this sermon, it would be Christ-centeredness in trials and adversities with a subtitle of what we can learn in trials. I say learned, and I say that carefully, and I underscore it. For here again, Paul says that our Lord Jesus, though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. Suffered. So I think it's a good term. What do you think? So what can we learn? What can we learn? Let me speed this up because I don't want to bore you. What trials do? What can trials teach us? What lessons come by trials? I'm not going to list them all. We'd be here all day. But let me just a few. I had about 15 before I was done yesterday and adding as I was going along, but I realized I couldn't get them in today. So, And I'm not making this a two-part sermon. First of all, we learned this. And it is right and holy to learn it. You remember this. It is right and holy to learn this lesson of trials and adversities and sorrows. It's this. Trials are hard. Brilliant, huh? Trials are hard. Trials are difficult. Trials are painful. Trials are sorrowful. Trials bring trouble. They're troublesome themselves. They vex us, as the Scripture says. Trials are meant to affect us. There are effects to us that come by way of trials. David said he was like a smoke, or a a bottle in the smoke. In Psalm 119, verses 82 and 83. A bottle in the smoke. And if you know what that was, it's a metaphor showing that this is how he felt. A bottle in the smoke would be a tent, for instance, where they live most of the times. In a tent, there's always smoke going on. And skin, that's what their bottles were made out of. They're made out of the plastic stuff that we drink out of today or glass. They were made out of skins. What do you think would happen to that skin as it comes into contact with smoke continually? It'd get pretty crusty wouldn't it? And dried up. Worthless. Ugly. David said, that's what I'm like. 
You see, we feel the pain of trials. We feel their hurt. Psalm 39, this is where I begin departing from here. Psalm 39, verse 10 and 11. Listen, remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou rebukes, with, with, when thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Selah. Think about that, he says. Selah. Meditate on that. When God's hand of adversity comes upon us, we will learn at times and in some measure the pain and the sorrow and our beauty to consume, he says. 38, verse 17. For I am ready to halt. My sorrow is continually before me. Psalm 38 again. Verses 6 through 10. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. My loins are filled with loathsome disease. And there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the quiet disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before Thee. I am groaning, is not hid, my groaning is not hid from Thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. Psalm 6 Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is so vexed. But Thou, O Lord, how long? How long will You leave me like this? How long will You cause me to have the the pain and the sorrow? This is what He cried. Why? Because trials and adversities can show us this. And they can bring them. Psalm 102, verse 11. My days are like a shadow that declineth. I am withered like grass. You've heard people say, this has put ten years on me. This has aged me. That's just what David just said. My days are like a shadow that declineth. I am withered like grass. They can make tears flow like rain. I have to confess to you, I have not cried this much all of my Christian life. I've cried some. Nothing like this. And you too probably have experienced that at times. Again, 39.12 Hear my prayer O Lord, and hear, give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. For I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. See, David lays before God even his tears and says, Note them, God. 
note them. Do you not pity me? Am I not your son? Would you not comfort humanly, me, you, our children, when they have their boo-boos? Do we not go to them and we take them up and we hold them and we kiss their little boo-boo to make them feel better? That's how God wants to deal with us. That's how He deals with us. And David realizes this probably more than we do. David's been tested and tried. David has learned a few lessons. Hold not thy peace at my tears, he says. And even sometimes we don't even get comfort from others. Psalm six, don't turn there. Psalm 69 verse 20 says, Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. And I look for some to take pity. But there was none. And for comforters. But I found none. Asaph said in his Psalm 77, I thought on God and was troubled. Let the health, wealth, wackos today say that. They can't. Ruin their theology, wouldn't it? At times they can make us speechless. Psalm 39.2. This is the second lesson, excuse me. You just kind of sit there. You don't know what to pray. You don't know what to say. You just sit there. I was dumb with silence, David said. I held my peace even from good and my sorrow was stirred. I was dumb, he said again. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. But let me say here, I am thankful that we have the Holy Spirit who takes our cries to heaven when we cannot. The passage in Romans is very precious, isn't it? The fact that when groanings that cannot be uttered, we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, who takes our prayers that we cannot pray, and He advocates when we cannot. The third thing we learn in this of all the sad lessons to learn, this one's sad. We can learn in our trials our sins, our iniquities, and our transgressions. We can learn something of remaining corruptions. We can learn the lesson that sin is still present with us. We see just how weak we are. We see how frail we are. We see how wicked. I see how wicked my heart is. And I see how easy it is for me to turn from the true and living God. My God. It humbles for them. It shows our vanity. We're like the dust on the, the balances. Where do I learn that? Trials. Where do I see it? The Bible. 
the living Word of God. O Lord, rebuke me not in Thy wrath, neither chasten me in Thy hot displeasure. For Thine arrows stick fast in me, and Thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of Thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. He was taught his sin there. This trial brought sin. Yeah, it was his chastening, but it's a trial. And adversity brought to his mind how sinful he was. Mine iniquities. Notice this. Where is this perfectionism now? Where are the heretics who deny indwelling corruption? In light of so plain passages of God's Word. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I can testify to you, I feel that. And it's not wrong. That's the lesson he takes us through. The school of adversity. Maybe not the school of my choosing, but the school of adversity. I won't show any more of those until I show you my point that I want to make here in a minute. First, third, the next thing is that we find ourselves hopeless even towards God's mercy. Yep. As unholy, as sinful, or as um, unbelief that may sound, that's true. Psalm 77. Is thy mercy clean gone forever? He says. Will you not be merciful? He says. Psalm 31. Verse 22a says, Bless, oh, it's not it. 22, yes. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. We read a while ago in Psalm 69 and 20, he couldn't find any comfort. Psalm 6, we read a while ago that he was vexed. Psalm 6, verses 2 and 3. And then fourthly, quickly, we see in our lessons of adversity a carefulness about sin and against sin. I don't want to sin ever again. It's exactly how I feel right now. And as squeamish as I am about my blood, if I could take a knife and cut it out of me, I would, gladly. That's what this can make us do. In some measure, I realize that. And maybe not every trial, but it can teach us that. It can teach us to have a hatred to sin because we see that a lot of our trials are from sin. If not our own personally, the sin of others like Achan or the sin of Adam. They make me not want to sin anymore. Fifthly, or sixthly actually, we may see an aspect of the glorious Trinity at work on our behalf. 
and our trials. A Father who we make prayers and supplication unto. A Father who pities us. Has compassion. We see our Lord Jesus, whom we have sinned against, and yet who has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And as Hebrew 4 tells us, He's been touched with our infirmities. As Isaiah tells us in 63 verse 9, in all their affliction, He was afflicted. We see Christ as our advocate. We see Christ as our one who intercedes for us. We see the Holy Spirit who is the great comforter who convicts the world of sin. Thank God He's convicted us of sin. Would you want to be outside of Christ right now? Would you? Admit it, I prayed I wanted to die. But I never prayed, take me out of Christ. The great comforter. We learn also the patience and kindness of the brethren. Wednesday night was a token of your love for me. Like I have never... You do all the time. And I, I, I realize trials open my eyes. So, forgive me. You have always have been gracious and kind to me. I admit that. But sometimes the cloud is there. Even in the good times, isn't it? And I see now your love for me. And I appreciate that so much. My family does so much. And it's true, as David said, there will be those who will abandon us. Even our own friends. Job, you remember. But, you know, and Daniel said something to this, and I, I took it a little bit further. You know, even Job's miserable comforters sat by him. Didn't they? They came to see him. They came to see Job. And they didn't open their mouths for, to him and begin to charge him for seven days. Yeah, we can say a lot against Job's friends. But they sat with him. And they kept their mouths. For a period. And this is my point here. Numbers, I think it's number eight. I think I misnumbered my outline here. It is number eight. That our trials, in our trials, Christ is the center. And you say, why do you say that? Well, we know He's with us all the time, right? We know that. We have the promises of that. Glorious promises of that. Let's go back to our psalm again. Psalm 40. Remember verses 6 and 7 and 8? Who is that speaking about there? I hope I don't have to prove it. We can go to Hebrews and look at it if you want to. Hebrews 10. But I know you know that. Or at least some of you do. And you can look it up. It's in Hebrews 10. Verses 5 through 7. So this is a messianic psalm. And David is expressing 
in the person of Christ, his sorrows, his trials, and his adversities. But who really is the center of this psalm? It's Christ. Look at verses 13 and 15 through 15. Christ is saying this. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and to put, put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward. And of their shame they say unto me, Aha, aha. That's Christ in some aspect of His ministry here on the earth. David is saying that. David is seeing this. And as he's speaking, yes, of his own local person there, David, he puts Christ right smack dab in the middle of it. Doesn't he? Look at Psalm 34. Verse 15. Oh, I think. No, sorry. Well, let's go to Psalm 41. I know, I know it there. Verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel. Against me. Who's saying that? So you ask David. But who is he really talking about? Christ. You read this psalm again? It's a psalm of trials and adversities. And right smack in the dab of them is Christ. He's centered in them. 31.5 If I'm getting these right, I wrote these down as I was just thinking these things up. We know this is a messianic psalm as well. Verse 5 Into thy hand I commit my spirit. I think we hear that on the cross, do we not? But here again, this is a psalm that deals. Look at verse 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my, bone, or my, and my bones are consumed. I'll explain that here in a minute. Again, back to Psalm 40. Now, the objection is, well, if this is Christ speaking here, how can he say what he says in verse 12? Innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. Is not Christ the sinless Son of God? Absolutely. How can he say this then? How can Jesus say 
these words. How can he say what he said back in Psalm 31, where he again mentions about his sins and his iniquities? How can he? Well, it's not because of his own personal sins. He had none. But because of our sins being laid to his account by imputation. This is why justification is not just a saving doctrine. It's a comforting doctrine. All my sins, all your sins, believer, were laid upon Christ. He was made sin for us who knew no sin. That's how he can say, my sins, mine iniquities. You see, he's the center of all of this, isn't he? Number nine, they cause us to cry out, they cause us to pray, and they cause us to trust. Jesus said, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That's a prayer. That's a prayer. And that's what Jesus prayed. As we see all through this psalm, David not only singing, but he's praying. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. We cry out, we pray, and we trust. We also pray for relief. That's not unscriptural. It's not unbiblical. 39 verse 10. This is another lesson we learn. Remove thy stroke away from me. That's what he says. Remove it. Take it away. 38 verses 21 and 22. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me. There's nothing wrong praying like that, brethren. Make haste. Get up. Wake up. God. Stir yourself up. Awake out of sleep. Those are the words we find in the Psalms towards God. God teaches us to pray like that in trials. Make haste. Psalm 38, 22. Again, 40 in verse 12. Awake. Why sleepest? Sounds a little saucy, doesn't it? I would probably backhand one of my children if they had said that probably months ago. Now I hope no better. Awake. Why sleepest? Awake. Why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise. Cast us not off forever. Wake up. Not in a belligerent way. Don't tarry. Nine or ten, David, we see, learn to trust, pray, and praise God as well in all of his trial. He commends him to others. Listen to Psalm 34 and verse 22. The Lord redeemeth, this is after all that he says, the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. 
That's what he's saying to us. This is what David's teaching us in his trial to us. This is what our trials teach us. To trust in God. 32 verse 7. He says, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. 31 verses 21 through 24. This is the benediction, as it were, of his trials. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Oh, love the Lord. No, he's commending His God to us. O love the Lord, all ye saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. What shall I say further to you, my dear brethren, in all of this? I don't know. I'm out of answers. This I do know. Trust in God. Praise and bless Him forevermore.